With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Happy Draft Week, ladies and gentlemen. We've made it. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Chris McPherson. Joining alongside Fran Duffy. Fran, we are in the home stretch. Uh, today is Tuesday, just two days away from the first round of the NFL Draft taking place this year in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, it's a, it's exciting. 52 weeks in the making. Obviously, NFL teams have been working towards this. The scouting departments, this, namely this, the college scouting departments, have been working towards this week, uh, and we're finally here. So really, really excited just to see. You know, we, we talk about all these players all year round. Just seeing now where they end up and then talk about fits and, you know, team philosophy and how they're building their rosters and getting ready now for the 2019 season. To me, this is really the, the, the first big step towards 2019 and actually football on the field because after that we'll have rookie mini camps and we'll have the, the real mini camps and now we can get things rolling, we get the ball rolling towards the summer. All right, so if you've listened to our podcast in recent years, we typically have Greg Cosell provide film analysis on the top prospects. And we usually do, we obviously have Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com you know, do the Draft Buzz segments each and every week, but usually we do a rapid-fire episode where we, do, we throw like 100 questions at them, and it's on all the top prospects in this year's class. Yeah. So this year, Fran, and I'll give Fran 100% of the credit, and if you don't like it, you give him That's 100% right. of the blame. You know who to blame. Okay. We're going to mash it into two different podcasts. We're going to do today the offensive preview and tomorrow preview the top defensive prospects and basically go back and forth where we'll say a prospect's name, Greg will give us the film analysis of what he's seen on, on tape, and then Tony will give us some insight into where he or the group of players we uh, present are going to be selected. I just look at it like this, you know, and this is for, you know, from a listener standpoint, when you're taking in content, this is about not just you know, the NFL draft, this is about the NFL, this might be about the NBA, it might be about whatever, whatever sport you're into. I think you can almost split up analysis into two separate little sections, right? There's evaluation, what people see with their eyes, and then there's the information, the business of information, which is everything that you get with your ears. And I feel, you know, when we talk with both Greg and Tony throughout the course of the year, when it's, whether it's about the NFL or about the draft and college football, I always try and leverage their strengths, right? So I look at, at Greg one of the best in the business in the media, right, in terms of the, his film evaluations and how he looks at players and how they'll project to the NFL. And you look at Tony, who's got his ear to the ground when it comes to the, the NFL draft all year round, 365 days a year. Tony says stuff throughout the course of the fall that people it, it almost has to be rebroken later in the year because it, it's been so long since Tony broke the news that people say, oh, I haven't heard this yet. And so I, to me – Getting both these guys to now come on and we'll preview all of these top players at every single position and go back and forth where you get the analysis and then the information, the access, that all that stuff. You're going to get that in this podcast. Offense today, defense tomorrow. I think it'll be fun. Speaking of analysis and access, that's what we're going to be bringing to you all draft weekend long. Uh, Fran, Ooh, look at that. you and Amy Campbell are going to be hosting Eagles Draft Central. Presented by Deaton Watson. That's right. Uh, really, really excited. We've got a, a lot of really fun content planned for you. Uh, we have a pre-show that will be coming up 7, seven o'clock 
on Thursday, an hour before the draft starts. You can check out PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, all the social channels. Uh, it'll be streaming there, and you'll be able to check out everything we've got. And again, it'll be exclusive one-on-one interviews. It'll be uh, analysis. We're going to have some film breakdowns. We're going to have some great uh, expert analysis from outside the building as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, not just 7 o'clock on Thursday, but pre-shows on Friday. Every time the Eagles make a selection, we will go live. So we've got a lot coming uh, over the next few days. Really, just stay on the Eagles app or PhiladelphiaEagles.com all weekend long. I'll be hosting a chat throughout the entirety of draft weekend. And like Fran said, every time that the Eagles make a selection, we are going to go live, and you'll get Fran's instant analysis. And Amy Campbell will be joining us once again. She was so great for us during the season, uh, covering games both home and away. So very excited to have her insight yep. uh, added into our weekend of offerings here. So, again, Greg Cosell, he is the senior producer at NFL Films. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Cosell. And he's also the co-host of the NFL Matchup Show on ESPN, which has great pre-draft coverage. And Tony, you can follow his work at Tony Pauline on Twitter and has a reference throughout the next two days of podcast. You can read his stuff at draftanalyst.com. Let's now get into the offensive preview of the 2019 NFL Draft. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, Greg, let's get right into it. When we talk about quarterbacks, you got to talk about Kyler Murray. Everyone's expecting him to go atop of the draft. Greg, is he the type of quarterback that you would take to replace Josh Rosen, who was just selected in the first round a year ago? Well, C-Mac, first of all, it's good to actually talk to you, C-Mac. I normally only do this with Fran, so we've, we've upgraded the level of the show here, I see. <laughs> just got to spice up a little. It's draft That's week. right. That's right. Um, I'll tell you what. It doesn't matter what I think, C-Mac. Here's the deal. Cliff Kingsbury is the head coach of the Cardinals. He's a young coach. He's grown up in one system. One thing I learned a long time ago is coaches coach what they know. And what he knows is an offense that fits Kyler Murray and does not fit Josh Rosen. So I think it makes perfect sense for him to draft Kyler Murray. He's now the face of the Cardinals organization. They hired him because, and I'm not saying this to be sarcastic or funny, but in the NFL now, that style of offense is viewed as hip and trendy. And that's why he got hired. So it would seem to me you don't hire him not to allow him to have the quarterback that fits the only offense that he knows well. All right, so as we welcome in Tony Pauline here from DraftAnalyst.com. Tony, uh, last week you said the Cardinals were still on the fence. You mentioned you know, the, the, uh, the impact of ownership and how everybody in the building wasn't necessarily on the same page to go with Kyler Murray over Josh Rosen. Do you have any kind of update there? And At this point now, just you know, a couple days away from the NFL draft, where do you think the Cardinals end up going here at number one? I still think they're going to take Kyler Murray. I've learned yesterday that there are some people in the building who work underneath Steve Kime who really are against the move to select Kyler Murray. It's a situation that, well, we expended all this capital to get our quarterback uh, last year. Why, why move him and, take it and start from scratch? Uh, someone yesterday told me that they thought it was a done deal that the Cardinals would take, Cliff, uh, uh, that would take uh, Kyler Murray um, because they feel it's too far gone with Josh Rosen. And I asked the question, well, how, does, how would Josh Rosen fit within with a Cliff Kingsbury type of offense? And the response to me was, well, how does the Cliff Kingsbury offense fit in with the NFL? And he pointed to Chip Kelly. He says, you know, you can't just come in here and do all these things that work so, were so successful on the college level uh, and, and do them on Sunday. So uh, my 
from looking from the outside in and talking to people, it just seems like to be a, a big mess of a situation. I think in the end, though, they'll probably take Kyler Murray. Well, Greg, let's talk about these other three quarterbacks because really it's been, this has been kind of a four-quarterback class in terms of the discussion for possibilities in the first round. We're starting to get a little bit of buzz that it could be five, but let's stick with – we talked about Kyler Murray. Now let's go to Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones. And, and obviously you're going strictly off of the film, but how would you stack these three guys? Do you feel strongly about any one of them fitting with one team or another? How, how do you look at those three prospects? Well, Fran, it was interesting because uh... – I really liked Drew Locke's tape. Um, there's a couple of things that bother me about him, just as they bother me with Haskins as well. But let's stick with Locke. Um, Locke is one of those quarterbacks that every game you watch, pretty much, there's throws that you go, wow, that, that's pretty good. Those are NFL throws. I mean, he's a high-level arm talent. He's a natural thrower. There are times he reminds me of, of Matthew Stafford. But there's two things that are, are troublesome to me. One is he tends to drift in the pocket. Now, that's technically correctable, but he does it a lot. He drifts in the pocket, throws balls off balance, and oftentimes creates his own pressure. The second thing is he tends to be a little scattershot. And experience tells you that it's tough to fix that. So those two things are concerning. As far as Dwayne Haskins, he's another really high-level thrower of the football. Um, I think that his feet and his upper body often don't work together. His arm is strong enough at times to compensate for that. I'm just questioning whether in the NFL, when there's going to be more bodies around you more often, if that particular issue is going to be a problem. I don't think his pocket movement is particularly good at this point, and as a pocket quarterback, that needs to be a very strong trait. To follow up on that, Outside of Kyler Murray, is there an ideal fit for any of those four quarterbacks who we talked about there, uh, whether it's Locke, Haskins? Um, uh, you know, I think or, if you're or, probably looking at Drew Locke, you're probably looking at a team whose focus is a little more on perhaps play action, the intermediate pass game, uh, not so much the quick game. Haskins is intriguing to me in that regard because there was a ton of quick game at Ohio State. Um, so he's done that. Uh, I also think people will look at Haskins as a guy that you can drop deeper because of his bigger arm. Um, every quarterback, C-Mac, theoretically works best in a timing and rhythm pass game when it's effective because that's the way pass games are built. Um, Haskins probably fits best in a number of different uh, styles of offense, and, and therefore, I think I don't want to. I hate to say he's got the biggest upside. He's only a one-year player, and he did play very well in the final three games of the season. So you're starting to feel that hey, he's he's just sort of scratching the surface, which is why, if all said and done, I'd probably look to Haskins over Locke. All right, Tony. There's been so much said about the three quarterbacks that are going to come after Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, and Daniel Jones. What order do you think they go in round one? I still have uh, Haskins graded as my number one quarterback. I think Haskins, it will go Haskins, Drew and then Daniel Jones. Tony, to follow up on that, do you think there's a quarterback that will be there at 25 where a team, sort of like last year, how Baltimore moved into the Eagles spot to get Lamar Jackson, do you think there's a chance that one of these guys could be there at 25 for the Eagles to possibly make a move down? Yeah, highly unlikely. You know, I still think Haskins especially with the uh, recent injury news on Rashawn Gary. I think Haskins is in the mix for the New York Giants. 
I think, uh, as we've spoken about, really since the Shrine game, Denver likes Drew Locke. John Elway specifically loves Drew Locke. And I think Daniel Jones, uh, if the Giants don't go quarterback at six, they could go quarterback at 17 with Daniel Jones. I also think Daniel Jones will be in the mix or in the conversation for the Washington Redskins at 15 if they don't pull a trade off for uh, Josh Rosen. So uh, I think if, you're, if you are looking at that sort of scenario, the best uh, case where if a quarterback falls down to give the uh, Eagles some trade options, you want to see Kyler Murray selected by the Cardinals. You want to see uh, Josh Rosen traded to a team that's not the New York Giants, and then the Giants take uh, Dwayne Haskins, which means that Daniel Jones could fall a little bit further. I don't see that happening right now. All right, so we talked about the top four quote-unquote quarterbacks in this class. Greg, you post some amazing evaluations on Twitter. I wish you would do it more frequently, to be honest, but is there a quarterback who has piqued your interest outside of this top four? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I don't think this is a great quarterback class by any means. You know, we we didn't talk Daniel Jones, who in some ways you could argue – while he's not as talented a passer, a pure passer, as Locke or Haskins, in some ways you could argue there's maybe a consistency to his game that is, is better. Um, you know, I happen to know for a fact that there's a couple of teams that have him rated as the number one quarterback in this draft class. Uh, now, again, he's, to me, uh, his game must be built on, on pre-snap understanding, uh, awareness, repeated mechanics, quick eyes. You know, I think that he can be a quality quarterback. I think if he were to reach his ceiling, I would see him as somewhat like a Matt Ryan type player. Uh, the way he throws the ball, guys, to be honest with you, reminds me of Nick Foles. I think he has a very similar, throws a very similar ball in terms of uh, velocity, in terms of the way he throws it. So I think there are some similarities there. Now, Tony, Jay Glazer tweeted that he expects five quarterbacks to go in round one. Who, who could be the fifth quarterback? I, I wrote an article at draftanalyst.com on Sunday about guys who I think are going to be drafted much higher than people pre, uh, are presently predicting, and the quarterback I named was Will Greer. Will Greer could slide into the late part of round one, either by the New England Patriots, who just drafted him with the 32nd selection, or by a team who wants to move up to, to, uh, to grab him, a team who's selecting early in round two. Um, so I think right now everything that uh, I hear from people I've spoken with, that fifth quarterback who could slide to the late part of round one is Will Greer. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he'll be off the board within the first ten selections of round two. So, Tony, is there a day two or day three quarterback that you're kind of hearing could go a little bit higher? I mean, you mentioned Greer as a guy that could go round one, but is there another one from this group that could go a little bit higher than where people think? Maybe Ryan Finley. Um, I mean, he's a guy who, before the season, was graded as the highest, uh, the number one senior quarterback. He was graded higher than Drew Locke. He did not have a good 2018 season, did not have a good senior ball, but people know that he's a smart, accurate game manager, so they may take him uh, somewhere in the top 75. I do know, I've spoke to a couple of NFC East teams. They seem to like Jared Stidham of Auburn going back and watching the 2017 film. So if they don't come out of the uh, first two rounds with, with uh, quarterback, I think Jared Stidham can come off the board early in round three as well. All right, well, let's move to the running back position. And, Greg, we'll start with you and running back Josh Jacobs. And I know this is a player that you're really intrigued by. Give us oh, all yeah. your evaluation and how you feel that he fits in today's NFL. Oh, I think he fits great. 
and and maybe I'm higher on him than most. I, I don't know, Fran. You and I have not discussed him other than we both like him, but we haven't gone into detail. Um, I got to tell you, I thought there were elements of Alvin Kamara in Jacobs' running style with his quickness and his contact balance. Uh, I thought there were elements, and, and I don't want people to fall off their chairs here, but I thought there were elements of Ezekiel Elliott with the competitive tough, toughness and the physical finishing power. I really like Josh Jacobs as a back, and the fact that he came in at close to 220, uh, his 40 time doesn't mean a thing to me because you don't see a lot of 50-yard, 60-yard touchdown runs where guys run away from people in the NFL. And I think we saw enough of him as a receiver that he's got good hands, good body control, made some tough catches. He can certainly be a factor in the uh, uh, in the pass game. And all you had to see was him block, and I'm trying to remember who it was. You probably uh, remember this play. It was in the championship game, Fran. It was Austin Bryant. It was Austin Bryant who he just laid out. And, and so that tells you the mentality and the mindset that Josh Jacobs has. And... Uh, you know, to me, he is a high-level prospect as a running back. Uh, he's not going to be drafted in the top five. We know that. But I see him as a big-time prospect. Tony, Greg just said he loves how Josh Jacobs fits in today's NFL. The question is, in the first round, who are the teams that might pull the trigger and select them? I think the Houston Texans and the Oakland Raiders will both take long looks at Josh Jacobs. Uh, I don't think that either team will take him around one, especially the Raiders who have an early pick in, uh, in the second frame. I think they're more apt to look in that direction. But I, I think uh, Jacobs will at least be in the conversation with the, with the Texans and the Oakland Raiders. Now, last year, Saquon Barkley was drafted number 2 overall by the New York Giants. His backup at Penn State became the starter in 2018, Miles Sanders. He's in this year's draft class. How do you think he transitions to the next level? Oh, I think he transitions well. And I actually, about a month ago, C-Mac put out that I thought that Sanders was running back two in this class. And uh, some people liked that and some people didn't. But I really like Sanders. I think that um, he's got the needed size. He's got running skills. He's got receiving traits to be a three-down back. Um, I also think he's just scratching the surface. Look, he played essentially one year. He was a big-time recruit, but obviously Saquon was there. Um, he's carried the ball less than 300 times in his college career. Uh, I think he's a feel and rhythm runner, and I think he, he's the kind of guy that you can give the ball to, you know, 14, 15, 16, 18 times a game. And uh, I really like Miles Sanders as a prospect. All right, so Greg just mentioned, Tony, how much he likes Miles Sanders. He's him as his number two running back in this class. Where in the draft do you see Miles Sanders going off the board. Is he going to be the second back to hear his name called after Jacobs? Does he make it to the Eagles pair of second-round choices in the 50s? Because I know Daniel Jeremiah has gone on Twitter saying he expects him to go off the board early in the 40s. Where do you see Sanders hearing his name called when it comes to either Thursday or Friday? Sanders is presently rated as my number four back, and I grade him as a late second-round choice. I like his skill, but I think there are just a lot of talented ball carriers that are going to be selected for him. So we've talked about two of the players at the running back position that many feel are the two best in Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders. Let's get to this next cluster, a cluster of players that you know may hear their names called on day two, if you believe all, all the media reports out there. And I'm going to go with this foursome here, Greg. David Montgomery from Iowa State, Damian Harris from Alabama, Daryl Henderson from Memphis, and then Devin Singletary from FAU. Looking at, at that quartet of runners, who stands out most to you and why? Well, I really like Damian Harris as a runner. Um, you know, and I know that, that you and I have talked about him, Fran. He's, 
he, you know, he looks like an NFL back the way he runs. Um, you know, again, you get into whether you're going to build your offense around Damian Harris, but there's no question that his size, his build, his running skill set is clearly that of a feature back. I mean, there were times watching him with his vision and his and his very deceptively quick feet that I thought he could develop into a great back. Um, so I'll be anxious to see where he's drafted, but I really like uh, Damian Harris. Now, the back who really intrigues me, okay, and that's Henderson, Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson, because I saw him do some things in the pass game, split out. Um, I actually featured him in the in the second matchup show that is going to air tomorrow night on ESPN and ESPN2. Um, he really intrigues me because uh, he's explosive. Um, he's dynamic and electric at times as a runner. He split out and was detached from the formation as a receiver. And one thing that I really liked about him is that he lined up as an eye back with the quarterback under center and ran out of base personnel. And I'm not suggesting that that's coming back in the league as the primary way teams run, but we saw the Patriots down the stretch go back to running like that, Brady under center, Sony Michelle as an eye back. Um, Henderson did that in college in Memphis, and he was very good at it. Any quick thoughts on uh, David Montgomery or Devin Singletary? Yeah, Montgomery's intriguing as well because Montgomery has tremendous contact balance. He's a big back. Um, you know, I think that he's one of those guys that has the look of an NFL back. He's physically tough. He's mentally tough because he carried the ball an awful lot. He's a grinder. He grinds out hard yards, and that's critical in the NFL. If you're going to be essentially a feature back, you have to be able to grind out hard yards. He's got a really strong lower half. He's competitive. Um, you know, my guess is, and Fran, you can comment on this as well, I don't think he'll be seen as a special runner, um, but he's kind of subtly creative. You know, he's not creative in that he's got you know loose hips and he makes people miss the way we think of that, but He's got size, he's got build, he's got the traits profile to be a sustaining feature back. All right, Tony, we're going to give you the same four guys we just gave Greg. Greg looked at Damian Harris as someone who he thinks just looks like an NFL back. What order do you think David Montgomery, Damian Harris, Daryl Henderson, and Devin Singletary, what order will they be selected? I think it's going to go Damian Harris, then David Montgomery, then Daryl Henderson, then Devin Singletary. Uh, You know, Damian Harris... Came into the season highly rated by scouts. He didn't have a poor season. It's just that he was outplayed and, uh, and outshone by uh, Josh Jacobs at the time. He's still a legitimate uh, running back. I-, I agree with Greg. A little bit limited in the sense that he's not a perimeter runner, more of a downhill guy who can also catch the ball in the backfield, more of a scheme-specific player. Uh, I think uh, it's going to go in that order. I also like David Montgomery a lot. I know he doesn't test well, but if you watch the film, he's just a tremendous back. He makes people miss. He beats them mentally. He's a three-down player who's not only a good ball carrier, terrific pass catcher, and does an exceptional job with his blocking assignments, which I think appeals to a lot of teams. So moving on, two running backs here, Bryce Love and Rodney Anderson. Very talented, but injury concerns. Which one of these two, in your estimation, Greg, is worth the risk? So it was Anderson and who, C-Mac? Bryce Love out of Stanford, Heisman finalist in 17. Yeah, um... I watched Rodney Anderson last summer, which I was glad I did. Um, I liked him. I mean, I thought he was an excellent NFL prospect. I thought he had size, vision, burst, power, balance, 
receiver. I mean, he caught seams, wheels, angle routes, slot fades. I mean, he was, I think he's an excellent prospect. I, you know, I don't know where he'd fit if he had played this year and was able to continue to grow as a player. We might be talking about him as a first rounder, um, but I really like Rodney Anderson. Um, you know, I think that Bryce Love is tiny. Uh, he can be explosive. Um, he runs hard. Uh, I, now you get into what is Bryce Love in the NFL. Fran, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think Bryce Love is in the NFL? Well, I, it was funny. I, I heard an interesting comparison over the weekend uh, to on the Roto World football podcast to, to Chris Johnson, you know, just because I guess the, the, the speed and the big yeah. playability – yeah, I look at Bryce Love, and he is a fascinating player on tape. And I guess you know we'll talk about it with Tony here in a sec. But the uh, you know where is he medically? And he tore the ACL back in December. Um, you know where is he in terms of that rehab? That that's the concern, especially to go along with the body type. But on film, I mean, he was one of the best running backs in the class to me, based off film. He's a bit, he's a smaller back, obviously, but he's able to run with a little bit more power than you would think, and, and no he's got that breakaway speed. Well, let's bring Tony in now to talk about Bryce Love and Rodney Anderson, both these guys. And there was a report, Tony, late last week. I want to say it was James Palmer from NFL Network who had mentioned that some of the feedback the teams had gotten from uh, Bryce Love's knee at his medical recheck in Indianapolis wasn't good. There was a little bit of stiffness there with the ACL. Was that something you had heard? And then just talking about both these guys, what have people said about both of them had they been healthy going into this draft? And how far do you see them falling due to the injuries? I had not heard that uh, from the report that you read. It doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, it, it, it's a bad injury for Bryce Love any way you cut it. He's a guy who relies on his ability to be a multi-cut ball carrier to make defenders miss. He's not a real strong guy. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's not a, it, it was not a good situation. As far as where, where they will go and where they will go, I think Bryce Love is the sixth rounder, and I think Rodney Anderson's the fourth rounder. Maybe he slides into the third round. Bryce Love, had he remained healthy, had he not had the series of injuries, including the knee injury, which ended a season that uh, he suffered last year, it's probably a second-round selection, maybe early third-round guy. He came into the season with a first-round grade from scouts, so there's no reason to believe that he would have slid out of the second day of the draft if he remained healthy. As far as Rodney Anderson is concerned, he's had a litany of injuries. This wasn't his first injury, but there were some people who believe that had he remained healthy and had he remained on course, uh, to having the type of season that he was having before he suffered the injury, uh, the knee injury in 2000, uh, the injury in 2018, he would have been the second back selected uh, in this year's draft. And my gosh, imagine if he had remained healthy. You know, you got to wonder if Kyler Murray still would have won the Heisman. If everybody would still be talking about Kyler Murray as the potential first pick of the draft. If I could mention one other back who fascinated me, guys. Uh, and then, look, I have no idea where guys get drafted. That's not why we're having this conversation necessarily. I was fascinated by Divine Azigbo out of Nebraska. And I don't know, Fran, if you got a chance to watch him. I have. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I thought this guy was a fascinating prospect with his size, speed, power profile. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he was Todd Gurley, but I thought he was not far off from Todd Gurley, to be honest with you. And, uh, again, I don't know where he's going to get drafted. I don't know how he's seen uh, I guess he's kind of a one-year guy, uh, but I was I was pretty intrigued by him watching him on tape. All right, Tony, Greg likes Divino Zigbo out of Nebraska. Who is a running back who you think will go much higher than anticipated? I want to say Mike Weber of Ohio State, but he's a player that we've mentioned multiple times on this podcast throughout the college season, 
and it seems that people are finally catching on to Weber. You know, I, I don't see the name of Ty Johnson of Maryland mentioned too often as a middle-round pick, and I think that's where he's going to go. Uh, Zigbo had a terrific Shrine game uh, week, as did Johnson. And, I mean, Johnson was a, was a highly rated back coming into the year, suffered with a, a few minor injuries last year, struggled getting the ball because they've got so much talent in that Maryland backfield. But he tested uh, well during Pro Day. He looked terrific uh, during Shrine game. He's, he's an outstanding ball carrier with great speed and explosion. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, and he does a little bit of re, uh, returning, kick returning. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ty Johnson is the first non-combine participant selected in the draft uh, come Saturday. All right, Greg, let's move to wide receiver. And D.K. Metcalf, he's been a polarizing prospect. I mean, both he and you have 1.5% body fat, okay? I think you were the one next to him in that gym photo. That, <laughs> no, you know, no, 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 no. That was actually, he was Photoshopped over my body. <laughs> what do you mean I was next to him? <laughs> so someone with, obviously, the size, the height, the speed, how is that going to transition to the NFL? Um, look, I think we all know the pros and cons. That's been discussed with DK Metcalf. He obviously can run, and he's big. Um, he ran by SEC corners. He ran by SEC corners who were playing off coverage. We know he can run. The question is, can he be more than that? We've seen examples, and I know he's bigger than these guys, but we've seen examples of guys who could just run and didn't do much more. I mean, you look at a guy like Darius Hayward Bay. To his credit, he's been in the league probably 10 years top 10 pick, never quite developed into the complete receiver, even though he's ended up having a hell of a career. Um, Troy Williamson, if you may remember him coming out of South Carolina, who I believe was the sixth or seventh player chosen. Big kid with great speed. Um, the speed itself is not enough. Um, I, I wouldn't call Metcalf stiff to the point where he can't move at all, but I think that it remains to be seen as to whether he can uh, to use the cliches, you know, sink his hips, get in and out of breaks. Um, how can he use his size beyond just the fact that he's fast? So I think there are some questions. Tony, you and I have talked a lot about DK Metcalf over the course of this podcast going back to early last fall. We both kind of felt a little bit rich for him in the early part of round one, but we're starting to hear more and more chatter. These receivers could go a little bit later. Now, my question for you is with Metcalf, it doesn't seem like he's going to go super high now. So what are the chances that he's there for the Eagles at 25? What are you hearing could be his floor in terms of his draft slot? Yeah, I never graded him as a top 15 pick. He's a great athlete, but he's, he's, you know, he's a marginal receiver. He needs a lot of work on his game. As far as him being available to the Eagles at 25, I think there's a very good chance. It all comes down to the Baltimore Ravens, who showed a lot of interest in D.K. Metcalf early in the process. If they don't take Metcalf with the 22nd pick, uh, he's going to be there for the Eagles, and he could potentially slide out of the first round altogether. Well, Greg, let's look over at Marquise Brown now, and I want to ask you if there's a player that he kind of reminds you of when you watch him on film. Obviously, look, he hasn't been able to work out during this pre-draft process due to that Liz Frank injury, but uh, a player that's starting to get a little bit more buzz, it seems like, in the media now. What are your thoughts overall on Marquise Brown and, and how he can make the transition to the NFL? Fran, I think he'll make it fine because I think the way the NFL game is evolving now with all these backfield actions, all this movement, helps him tremendously. You know, 15 years ago, people would have said he's 166 pounds. There's no chance he's playing. But why can't you look at Marquise Brown and think of Tyreek Hill or T.Y. Hilton or Deshaun Jackson, you know, players who have had 
very good success in the NFL. I mean, uh, is the Tyreek Hill comparison way off base? I'm talking about in the in the way he's deployed, where he can line up in the backfield. You can use him on jet sweep action. You can get him as your movement receiver, so you can get him the ball on the move, where his explosive burst and speed becomes a factor. We know he can run by people. So, to me, there's an absolute place for Marquise Brown in today's game. I don't think that's a question. Tony, NFL Network's down Jeremiah was on Twitter, and he posted that there's only one receiver he's confident who will definitely go in the first round, and that's Marquise Hollywood Brown. Do you think that he's going to be the first receiver on the board, and do you think that he will go before the Eagles select at number 25? I think he'll be one of the first receivers. I think, again, let's go back to the Baltimore Ravens. If they take D.K. Metcalf, the Marquise Brown will be there for the Eagles. If they take Marquise Brown for themselves, then obviously he's gone. I mean... He is a speedster. He's a polished receiver. The only problem with Marquis Brown is he's got size limitations. 5'9 and change, 166 pounds. <clears throat> you know, some concern that the wind can knock him over. But the guy does run like the wind, and the guy does absolutely bring speed, which is what the Eagles wanted to improve on in the offseason. All right, Greg. So you and Fran actually did an outstanding podcast, Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, not too long ago on big body wide receivers and well, how Fran they fit. Did. I was just sitting there. Oh, that's typically the case, but yeah, uh, yeah, I wasn't that's normally it. the case. So, Greg, on your big board, okay, we've got Miles Boykin, A.J. Brown, Hakeem Butler, and Nikhil Harry. How would you stack these guys? I would go with Hakeem Butler, number one. I really like Hakeem Butler. I think he's your classic X receiver in today's NFL. He can also work inside really effectively. Um, to me, of that group, he would be the number one guy. And who else was in that group? Uh, well, Nikhil Harry, who, um, and again, now you get into different points of view and different philosophies with receivers. Um, Harry's a big guy. He obviously has great, great hands. He's physical. He's tough. He's competitive. Um, you get into the whole issue of winning versus man coverage. How can that be alleviated? How can it be compensated for? He did not separate from college corners. Um, how will he be used in the NFL? Uh, you know, there's more quick game concepts. Maybe you put him in, in, in motion. Um, he's got pretty good run after catch. He knows how to use his body to create leverage. He certainly has strong hands. Uh, so there's a place for him. I just don't see him as, you know, a, a top, top prospect. I, for instance, like A.J. Brown more. A.J. Brown was another player I was going to mention, and also Miles Boykin, Notre Dame wide receiver, who had an outstanding combine performance, really jumped onto the scene there. Yeah, and I think he's another guy that is is really interesting. I mean, obviously, before the combine, he wasn't talked about a whole lot. I think he's another guy that kind of fits uh, as that boundary X receiver, the, the single receiver to the short side of the field. He's almost 6'4", he's 220. His testing was really good, as Fran knows. Um, I thought if when you watch his college tape, he was really strong working the boundary. He made back shoulder catches, contested catches. Uh, that's a critical component. Eagles fans know how important Alshon Jeffrey is when he lines up as that X receiver. Um, there were times Boykin showed the stride length and the speed combination to run by corners on vertical routes. Uh, he struck me as a very, very interesting prospect. 
All right, well, let's bring these same four guys to your uh, doorstep here, Tony. You've got Miles Boykin from Notre Dame, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss, Hakeem Butler from Iowa State, and Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. Uh, we've gotten the sense of who Greg really likes, but what order do you think these guys get drafted based off what you've heard so far? I'm going to say A.J. Brown, then Nikhil Harry, then Hakeem Butler, then Miles Boykin. There is a chance that, uh, from what I'm hearing, A.J. Brown could slide into the very late part of round one a lot of people believe he could be the second receiver selected, and why not? I mean, he is a great, re- he's a pure receiver. He is, you know, he's not the athlete of DK, his teammate DK Metcalf or Paris Campbell. He doesn't have the speed of Marquis Brown, but he's a terrific route runner. He's got soft, natural hands. He catches the ball well with his hands. <clears throat> Does a great job making the underneath receptions. Just doesn't have the vertical speed. I, I think the one guy that we're leaving out uh, from that group would be J.J. Arcega Whiteside who I think is uh, going to be selected before uh, Hakeem Butler somewhere in the uh, middle part of round two. Greg, we've talked about a handful of receivers so far, some of the big names, but uh, you and I have talked offline about how there are just there are so many receivers every year in the draft, and there's so many in this year's draft. Who's one that we haven't yet discussed, maybe one that's a little bit off the radar, that really stood out to you on film as someone who could make that successful transition to the next level? Uh, well... I mean, I'll give you a name that's probably way out there, but I, I actually thought, and he's a small school guy, and, and from what I've heard, he's got other issues, but I'm just talking about the tape. So maybe the other issues prevent him from, from being a factor at all, which, as, as you know, Fran knows as well as anybody, that, that can often be the case. Um, I, I was really intrigued oh, excuse me, by Jazz Ferguson from Northwestern State. He's got tremendous size. You know, again, he ran a four-four-five, and he's over six-four and two hundred twenty-seven pounds. I believe only he and Hakeem Butler, uh, with the size that they are, ran under four-five. Um, you know, again, he played at Northwestern State, so you're going to get into the level of competition. But I, I thought there was a whole lot to work with from a physical attribute standpoint. Uh, I mean, I, I could make the crazy argument if I really, you know felt like I wanted to make it, that he has better overall traits than Nikhil Harry. Tony, a few moments ago, you mentioned J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Greg was just raving about Jazz Ferguson, although he has a number of off-field concerns. Uh, who's a receiver who you believe will be drafted much higher than anticipated? I'm going to give you two names. Debo Samuel of South Carolina and Terry McLaurin of Ohio State, both of whom, both of whom I believe will be selected before Hakeem Butler, <clears throat> who gets a lot of press. I mean, Samuel was just a terrific receiver, had a terrific year rebounding from that injury that kept him on the sidelines in 2017. He's a natural pass catcher. He runs good routes. He's a terrific red zone threat. He also does some uh, returning. If his medicals pan out, I think he's going to go top 60. McLaurin did not have a great season at Ohio State, but he's checked off all the boxes in the lead-up to the draft. He had a great senior bowl. He tested fantastic at the uh, combine. He has all the tools to develop into a number two receiver at the next level. I think he's going to go much higher than people expect. Let's go on to the tight ends. Okay, TJ Hawkinson is considered the top tight end in this class. And that's valid. And is valid. He, he has drawn some comparisons by analysts to Rob Gronkowski, which is certainly high praise. How would you compare? Obviously, I'm not asking you to be like, is he the next Rob Gronkowski? But how would you compare the style of the way they play the game? I'd say Gronk is bigger, stronger, more physical, and Hawkinson is more short area quick. And I think we actually compared 
the, uh, the two players in our first matchup draft show, um, Sal Pal actually did in terms of, of numbers, and the numbers reflect that. I went back and looked at Gronk's uh, testing numbers, and in, in, in the drills that are viewed as the quickness drills and the agility drills, Hawkinson was meaningfully better than Gronk. Gronk's game is, is not built so much on that kind of quickness. He's such a big, powerful relentless human being, whereas Hawkinson is, is, I would say, smoother and quicker in, in, in short area. All right, Tony, we'll go to you now to talk about TJ Hawkinson. Obviously regarded as one of the safer players in this draft. What is the floor and ceiling for Hawkinson, though, in terms of draft slot? You know, We know how we feel about him as a player, but how early could he go in this draft? Could he crack the top 10, and how late could he potentially go uh, once the first round gets underway? I don't think he'll crack the top ten, but I do believe the earliest he could go is the Buffalo Bills at number uh, number nine. If the right uh, offensive lineman or defensive lineman is not there for the Bills, they are in desperate need of a tight end. I think the latest he goes is number 19 to the Tennessee Titans. So we've talked about TJ Hawkinson. Let's get to his teammate, Noah Fant. And, uh, Greg, kind of a polarizing player. And in most mock drafts, he's a first-round pick. Big picture, looking at the film, though, how do you view Noah Fant? Do you think he can be a three-down player in the NFL? And would he be one for every team, or is he more a scheme and situation-specific kind of guy? Well, I don't know if he's scheme and situation-specific, but I think he's a certain kind of player. I think you have to think of someone like Jared Cook. I think that Fan is a receiving tight end. Uh, he'll be detached. He'll be flexed. I mean, will he line up on the line of scrimmage? Of course, tight ends do on occasion. But you're not playing Noah Fant because he's going to be the big-time tight end blocker in your run game. Um, but the fact that he can run, the fact that he can um, get vertical, that he can create mismatches, that's absolutely critical in today's game. I mean, that flex movement detached tight end is a high-demand position in today's NFL, and Fant fits that profile. Now, the only thing I would say as a receiver, and Fran, you and I have discussed this, is he's very good vertically, but he's not a great route runner. Tony, a few moments ago, you gave us the ceiling and the floor for T.J. Hawkinson. How about his teammate, Noah Fant? I think Fant, the earliest he goes, is number 19 to the Tennessee Titans. I think the latest he goes is number 32 to the New England Patriots. I see a lot of uh, Rob Gronkowski's game and Noah Fant at equal points in their career. He's a, he's a nice-sized athlete who's a terrific pass catcher who just needs to improve his blocking, and he's a guy who comes into the league like Gronkowski with a tremendous upside. Greg, uh, let's go to let's get your GM hat on for a second here. Well, wait, okay. wait, I got to mention my tight end too, because no offense, not my tight end too. Well, well I was going to give you three guys, okay? Oh, okay, go let's ahead. See I'm going to give you three guys, okay? Let's see, I'm sure one of these guys will be in that group: Irv Smith, Dawson Knox, and Jay Sternberger. Does one of those two your your number two tight end? Well, it'll be one of those three, and absolutely, three. Jay Sternberger is my number two tight end. And, again, another guy I did in the matchup show last week, and I actually thought that Jay Sternberger, stylistically, the way he played, reminded me of Travis Kelsey. And and I went back again, and, look, Kelsey had a better 40 time than Sternberger, but Sternberger's 10-yard split was faster, and he had a better 20-yard shuttle time. Uh, and I believe Sternberger's another guy that's just scratching the surface. I, I think he's a dynamic receiving weapon. Uh, he's got a ton of experience lining up on the line of scrimmage and just flexed. Uh, so I really like Jay Sternberger. Yeah, he's actually uh, one of my favorites, too, at the position. Very, very intriguing player. All right, well, let's go with the same group now. Now for you, Tony. 
What order will this trio be drafted in? You've got Irv Smith Jr. from Alabama, Dawson Knox from Ole Miss, and then Jay Sternberger, Greg's favorite, uh, from this group from Texas A&M, and actually probably my favorite as well from this group. How do you see those three guys going off the board in what order? Well, I have Sternberger graded as my number four tight end after the two kids from Iowa and then Irv Smith of Alabama. But I think the way they're going to come off the board is the way you introduced them. Irv Smith, Dawson Knox of Mississippi, then Sternberger. A lot of teams, a lot of scouts out there really love Dawson Knox. They love his upside. They love his athleticism. They believe he was miscast at the Old Miss because they had those three receivers there. We talked D.K. Metcalf. We talked A.J. Brown. They had the Hodgkins there. They also had a quarterback and Tiamu who just liked to flick the ball down the field. So they feel that, you know, with the proper coaching, Dawson Knox could be a very productive starting tight end uh, in the NFL. I think he will be the fourth tight end selected somewhere in the uh, early part or top half of round two. All right, Greg, let's get to the, the next group here. And really, we've talked about the, the top four, top five players at the tight end position. Who's the tight end that we haven't talked about yet, that, you, that you've caught on film study? Obviously a very deep group, but one that we haven't talked about yet here today that really stood out to you when you went back and you studied the tape. I like Josh Oliver yeah. quite a bit. Why is that? Uh, um, you know, I think that uh, he's got good size. I think that he can line up on the line of scrimmage. He can detach from the formation. Um, I wouldn't call him an elite athlete, but I think he's clearly a plus athlete with very good play speed. Who can He's able to work all three levels of the defense. Um, I, I saw him on tape line up as, as the, the boundary X in what we would call one-by-three sets where the tight end is the single receiver. Uh, another guy that I think is going to get better with NFL coaching and experience, and I think he could develop into a tight end one at the NFL level. Wow, love the diamonds in the rough. The Greg and, and Fran, of course. You, you were pumping well, your fist. Fran and I discussed him, and Fran, you liked him as well, didn't you? Yeah, he's one of my favorites in this class. Yeah, I think he's a really, really intriguing prospect. All right, Tony, Greg was just raving about Josh Oliver. We got to see him at the Senior Bowl. Is there another tight end who you think may be drafted higher than anticipated? I'm going to stay in the same conference, the Mountain West, and I'm going to stay even stay in the same state, California, but I'm going to move way south. To San Diego State, Kalale Waring. I'd be surprised if he gets out of the third round. I think he probably could go top 75. He's an outstanding athlete. He's a better blocker than Josh Oliver. Probably plays a little bit faster and is as good a pass catcher. Uh, Oliver's got a little bit of a size advantage or a height advantage, but I think Kalale Waring could be off the board uh, by the 75th pick. All right, Greg, your favorite position here, offensive line time. Okay, there's really not a consensus top tackle in this class. So I'm going to give you three options. And if you can stack them for me, it would be tremendous. You have Jawan Taylor, the right tackle off Florida, Jonah Williams, who's done it all for Alabama, and Andre Dillard, who's been exclusively a left tackle out at Wazoo. Um, I probably have to pick Taylor out of that group. Um, you know, it's funny how the NFL game has changed. Uh, Taylor, I think you have to watch a lot of tape of, and I don't know how much Fran watched. I, I, I watched a lot. Just It's Florida, it's the SEC, so I saw him against a number of different defenses. When you first watch him, you almost feel like he's not particularly athletic as a tackle. You know, initially, I'm thinking, God, this guy kind of reminds me of Jack Conklin coming out of Michigan State. But then I kept watching Taylor, and game after game after game, He's not a great athlete. He's not a dancing bear, but he's very efficient with his footwork. He has very good balance and body control. Um, 
you know, he's he's functionally athletic without being a great athlete. Uh, and I and he continually handled edge speed. I mean, he he wasn't beaten to the point where I thought, wow, this guy can't play tackle. And and in today's NFL, with with the evolving pass game and fewer deeper drops, he'll be a tackle. Let me follow up on that real quick. Is there a tackle who we did not mention? I did not mention there. That's your favorite. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite. I mean, I think that Cody Ford is intriguing, and I think he can stay at tackle as well. Um, I'm very intrigued. Just the, the the way he played, he was enjoyable to watch with Dalton Risner. Um, another guy that you watch him, and it takes a lot of tape because he's somewhat like Taylor in the sense that he's not a dancing bear. He doesn't have great movement. There are times he looks stiff in his core. Uh, he can get beat off the edge and be stressed to the edge. But the more you watch him, I think you just see efficiency and consistency pretty much snap after snap after snap. And he's a mean dude now. I mean, he's a guy who could be a tempo setter for an offensive line. So we talk about all these big tackles in this draft, you know, Juwan Taylor, Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard. So, Tony, uh, I bring the question to you now. I know you mentioned that the New York Jets at three overall would love to be able to trade down, potentially target one of those top names at offensive tackle. But at what order do you see them all going off the board? And, again, that's Juwan Taylor from Florida, Jonah Williams from Alabama, Andre Dillard from Washington State. What's the floor here as well for when all three are completely gone and off the board? It depends on how teams view the medical reports on uh, Taylor, uh, Jawan Taylor of Florida, which I hear have caused some red flags to pop up around the league. If, uh, if Jawan Taylor is healthy and everything's fine with him, I think it's going to go in the order that you presented it. Jawan Taylor, Jonah Williams. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I think it's going to go Jawan Taylor, Andre Dillard, then Jonah Williams. If the medical flags pop up on uh, Taylor and it's a problem for some teams, I think Jonah Williams could actually be the first offensive lineman off the board to the Jacksonville Jaguars with the seventh selection because he could play right tackle more so than Andre Dillard. You can also slot him in at, uh, at guard. He's a guy that if you want to move Cam Robinson over to right tackle, you can, you can move Jonah Williams to the left side. Uh, so he's got that versatility. Uh, a lot, again, a lot depends on what the medicals are read or the way teams are reading the medicals on Jawan Taylor. I would be surprised, assuming that Jawan Taylor is healthy, that any of these guys are available after the 12th selection. Well, let's get to this next tier of offensive linemen, Greg. You know, we talked about Cody Ford earlier. You mentioned Dalton Reisner as well. Uh, I'm going to present a, a, a quartet here, another four players, another set of four guys. Garrett Bradbury, obviously a center for NC State. Cody, yep, Cody Ford, uh, the Oklahoma tackle. Caleb McGarry, the right tackle from Washington. And then Chris Lindstrom from Boston College. You get to pick one guy. Obviously different positions here and different values, but you get to pick one. Who's the one guy that you really kind of put your name next to in terms of their future NFL success? Garrett Bradbury. Why is that? I think that he's really a good player. I mean, he's very athletic for the position. He's really consistent. Uh, I just think he's the kind of guy that you're going to line up and he's going to play for 10 years. I mean, uh, he you watch him versus Clemson. He always plays really well against Clemson. And, and there are some good players on that D-line, as we know. Uh, some might think he's a little short, a little smaller than ideally desired. But, I mean, he plays with high-level competitiveness, consistent efficiency. Um, he's a little nasty. I really like Garrett Bradbury. 
Tony, Greg was just raving about Garrett Bradbury. The same quartet here. Bradbury, Cody Ford, Caleb McGarry, Chris Lindstrom. How many of those four players will definitely, no doubt without whatsoever, be off the board by the time the Eagles select at number 25? I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say, I don't think that any of them are a lock to be off the board. I think there's a very, very good chance Garrett Bradbury could be selected before the Eagles are called to the clock. I also think there is a chance that Cody Ford is selected uh, by the time the Eagles look called to the clock. I do think that uh, Caleb McGarry and Chris Lynch will be available for the Eagles at 25. Uh, my last thing for you with the offensive linemen and the offense overall, do you have a wild card along the offensive line? Is there a small school wonder like a Tice Howard that, that you know uh, you think will make the leap to the NFL? There were times I was intrigued by Max Sharping of um, – uh, uh, Northern, Illinois? Uh, Northern Illinois. Um, I did see a decent amount of him. I thought Eric McCoy, the center from Texas A&M, was a really intriguing prospect. Fran, did you get a chance to see him? I did. I, I liked Eric McCoy. We talked about him a little bit last week. I actually wrote down a, a comparison for him to Ryan Kelly. Interesting. Yeah, I thought he was um, really efficient, you know, really good hand usage. You know, just he was a technician, I thought. I, I liked him a lot. Um, and I think he'll be another guy that has a chance to step right in and start. So that would probably be it for the O-line. I, uh, well, just one more. I thought the uh, center from Mississippi State, Jenkins, um, big, physical. I mean, maybe not for everybody, but depending on scheme, I think he has a chance to be a solid pro. So, uh, Tony, let me bring this question to you now. Greg just brought up Elton Jenkins. Um, there's been a little bit of uh, a little bit of buzz that he could be a potential first-round choice. C-Mac, I think it was uh, was it Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks that brought him up as a possibility? Yes, indeed. Yeah, so uh, tell us about uh, Elton Jenkins. How high could he potentially go? Could he slide into Thursday night's uh, first round? I'd be surprised. I mean, I was hearing at the Senior Bowl uh, – that uh, Jenkins was a potential late-round pick. In fact, I was told outright that the Green Bay Packers were thinking of taking him with their, uh, with their second pick in round one. At this point in time, uh, with the upward mobility of Eric McCoy, who I think is, is leapfrog Delton Jenkins, I'd be a little bit surprised if Jenkins ends up in round one. All right, so Tony, who is an offensive lineman now that could go a lot earlier than expected? You just talked about Elkton, but who, who's another guy that could potentially go a little bit earlier than people think right now? Well, I think I just mentioned one of them, Eric McCoy of Texas A&M, the center. And the other guy would be Titus Howard, the uh, offensive tackle, potential zone-blocking guard from Alabama State, who's also moving up draft boards. Uh, I think both of them will be off the board by the 42nd pick, which no one expected a month ago. A lot to unpack there. Yeah. You know, both from the analysis standpoint, you know, it, it's fun watching. You guys can't see who are listening but the reaction that Fran would get when Greg would like say something about a certain player, or there, there were times where Greg was starting his answer about you know who might be the wild card, who's like the underrated prospect, the diamond in, in the rough, and Fran's like, I know how Greg thinks, and Ra is writing down the answer. I actually didn't even think about it from that standpoint, but yes, it did happen a couple times. Yes, it certainly did. It, it's fun from my standpoint to kind of see because you you know Greg well enough to kind of know what he thinks about prospects. When you watch a prospect, you already kind of have a sense of what Greg's going to think of a prospect. I do, and the the fun part about this one in particular was that, and this is you know, this is just how it went this year, Greg and I haven't spoken a lot about the NFL draft over the course of the last few months. We've had a couple podcasts here and there. We've had a couple conversations, but not as much as in past years. So, you know, when he mentions that Josh Oliver is his favorite sleeper in the tight end class, I mean, 
I agree. Josh Oliver is one of my favorite sleepers in the tight end class. I think he's going to be a three-down player and a starter. So uh, obviously not going to, probably not going to be in the scope of the Eagles because the Eagles have one of the best tight end, tight end rooms in the NFL. Certainly. But I think we, it's, it's definitely fun kind of getting that, that scope of it and seeing, okay, this is how Greg feels. This is what Tony thinks the NFL feels as a whole. So uh, it was a fun podcast. We'll, we'll do it again tomorrow. Indeed. The defensive preview will be tomorrow. But before we leave you, we're going to give you an unofficial visit. But make sure you rate and comment wherever you listen to the Journey to Draft podcast because things are going to be picking up shortly after the draft happens. We're not stopping things over here. Uh, but our last offensive version of the unofficial visit, it was a player who I learned for, for the first time about back at the Senior Bowl, uh, reminded me of Jason Kelsey right off the bat in terms of his play style and in his description, and it's Garrett Bradbury, the interior lineman out of North Carolina State. But unlike Jason Kelsey, who went to the sixth round in the 2011 NFL Draft, things have changed, and Garrett Bradbury will most likely hear his name called Thursday night in Nashville, Tennessee. Here's that interview now with Garrett Bradbury. The unofficial visit. What's up, Eagles fans? I'm Fran Duffy, joined here by NC State offensive lineman Garrett Bradbury. And for, uh, fans that have yet to watch you play, give us a quick scouting report of what you'll bring to the NFL. Uh, toughness, uh, technique, demeanor, just a guy that's going to come out and finish guys um, from the start of the whistle through the whistle. So. And, and what's the feedback you've gotten from scouts so far in terms of an area that you know you want to prove yourself over the next couple of months? Yeah, I mean, it's just good sitting down, talking ball with them, uh, hearing what they think of my game, goods, bads, um, things I need to work on. So. Just this whole process has been awesome. This week's been phenomenal. Um, from start to finish, it's been busy, but the football out here on the field, I mean, that's what we came here for, so this is the really fun part. So, What's your favorite part of playing offensive line? Being able to put your hands on someone physically, legally. Um, just finishing D-linemen, protecting the quarterback, running the football. Um, it's, I mean, it's the offensive line's job, so. And is there, are, are there any offensive linemen in the NFL that you know maybe you don't necessarily pattern your game after, but you really enjoy watching and you feel like they have kind of a similar style of play? I mean, I watch a lot of the uh, NFL centers and, and interior linemen in the NFL just because, I mean, they're in the NFL. They're the best at what they do. And like you said, I don't, I don't model my game after anyone. There's a lot of different ways to play it. Um, guys have different strengths. So you just try and take little bits and pieces from all the guys that are there because they're there for a reason. So there's something good to take from all of them. Yeah, and who's the best player that you went up against this year? This year? Yeah. Uh, there's some good ones. Uh, Clemson had a pretty good D-line. Um, A&M had a really good D-line in the bowl game. So uh, I think we, as an O-line, we had a pretty good season. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have a definitive answer for you. Right, and who has impressed you so much so far this year, maybe or this week rather? Maybe it's someone on defense, maybe one of your teammates on the offensive line. Who has really caught your eye so far this week? The O-line. Uh, we've been having a blast out here. It's just a bunch of guys with kind of the same attitudes, the same passion and love for the game of football. Uh, so, I mean, specifically the two guards I've been playing next to this, this week, uh, Michael Dieter from Wisconsin, Chris Lindstrom from Boston College. Uh, just guys that love football, um, that love to put D linemen on the ground, and uh, it's been a blast with them this week. So. All right, well, Garrett, best of luck the rest of this week and the rest of the draft process. Thank you. Tremendous interview, Fran. He's awesome. You can see why he's viewed as – uh, a lock for the first round, uh, you know, and considered one of the safer players in this draft. Indeed. Special shout out to Peter Kelly behind the glass for producing these episodes. He's come on here late in the process, so uh, welcome him aboard. To You'll be hearing more about Peter Kelly in the coming months. Yes, very much so. He, he's going to do a lot overhauling uh, our podcast offerings here at the Philadelphia Eagles. So, Fran, 
On to tomorrow. On to tomorrow. Yeah. One more preview podcast. Our defensive preview comes your way on Thursday. For Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast.